0: Well, good morning, Celebration Church. Can we all stand up together? Let's all say this, no matter where you're at. This is who we are. This is what we believe here at Celebration Church. Let's all join together and say this. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, and welcome to Celebration Church. Uh, My name is Bob, one of the pastors here. It's good to have everybody with us, all of our campuses, Stevens Point, Appleton. Good to have you, as well as those joining us online, whether it's Facebook or church online, good to have everybody here. Uh, Pastor Mark, he had a uh, Laugh Your Way conference in Florida and uh, we're in the middle of our series, significant stories from the Old Testament, significant events that took place. And this morning, Pastor Mark is gonna be sharing about Abram. Let's all join up with him now.
1: Good morning, Celebration Church, and greetings from sunny Florida. Deb and I are down here doing a Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage conference and uh, then be going up to uh, Michigan. So a little bit of running around this weekend. Uh, We thought, well, we'll just do our message from the road and maybe radiate some heat (laughs) back to everybody back there. Uh, Before I get into today's message, uh, I want to let you know we we had a date open up at the end of uh, March here, March 24th and 25th, and we decided that we're going to do another Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage (coughs) event, conference, in Appleton. So I know a lot of people always ask, when are we going to do another one? You want to bring friends and family and stuff that maybe you weren't able to get to previous ones well we're going to be doing this one march 24th and 25th in appleton now it's going to be limited seating because it's a small venue you know 200 people (laughs) 250 pretty much packs that place out so if you're interested in coming make sure you get your tickets right away but it'll be for uh, march 24th and 25th now usually we do friday night and saturday morning Uh, this weekend we're going to do friday night for part one and saturday night for part two so friday night seven to ten will be part one Saturday night, 7 to 10, will be part two. So, again, keep that in mind at the end of March. If you'd like to do uh, one of these events with us, come and get a seat in Appleton. All right. Now, this morning, we're continuing a series that I'm doing called The Significant Events of the Old Testament. Now, the Old Testament, by and large, is just trying to give us the, the book of Genesis, is the book of beginnings, and trying to give us a sense of how we got to where we are. Most of it has to do with where the Jewish nation came from, because out of the Jewish nation came the Messiah. And from the Messiah, all of us were able to become part of faith through Jesus Christ. So now the very first part of Genesis, the very first few chapters, it briefly discusses four major events. All right. Uh, There was the creation, just pointing out that God had created mankind. uh, Two, that there was an event where mankind turned their back on God, rebelled against God. You know, people always ask, well, gee, if there's a God, how come there's so much hate and terrible things that happen in the world? Well, it's not because there's not a God. It's because mankind rebelled against God and said, we don't want to have anything to do with you and started fighting God. And as a result, sin entered the world. Well, the initial response to sin in the world was devastating. And people were so violent and so destructive. After not, you know, after a certain uh, period of time, God decided, you know, look, this whole thing's not going to survive because they have become so corrupted. So he did a basic, uh, a big population reset. This is when we have the flood of Noah. God took Noah and his family, put them in the ark, flooded out the known world at that time, whether it was the known world or the whole world, it's really debatable, doesn't really matter. It's just that the point isn't about the flood or how much was flooded. The point was there was this major population reset. And then from Noah and his family, they started over again. Uh, And then shortly after that comes the fourth major event, which is the Tower of Babel. This is where God comes and he confuses the uh, language, languages of the people. And the Bible says he spread them to all parts of the earth. This is how people say, you know, how did people get to, you know, America or to Asia or stuff like that? According to the Bible, it says God put them there, broke up their language and now we have different people's groups with different looks and stuff. You've got, you know, people call it races. They're not races. There's only one race. There's the human race. <clears throat> but you've got the Asians and the Browns and the Blacks and the Whites, whatever, all the Europeans, wherever they come from. And the point was to basically quarantine mankind so that if one culture went crazy, like they did after the first fall, it would affect just that culture and not spread through the entire world because of the separation of, of location, of look, of language, all that stuff was an effort of God to quarantine all of that. But then we discussed how, in the cross, Jesus overcomes these things. The fall of man that separates us from God is overcome through the cross. Jesus makes it possible for us to have connection with God and have our sins forgiven. And through the cross, the separation and, uh, between cultures and peoples is eliminated. Because in the cross, in in the fellowship of Christian believers, there is no separation. We don't care what you look like, who you are. And I shared with you how uh, a Harvard professor uh, in last week's message said that the only place he was able to find in America true integration between cultures, despite all the efforts of trying to integrate people, the only place he can find it is in churches, (laughs) which is just a testament to the fact that in the cross, these things that got all jacked up are straightened out okay so those are the first four major events now there's people who debate the creation and debates you know this that and the other and the flood what it would have meant and you know they got all their their theories uh so there's quite a bit of kickback from the science community and and i will say this that we don't really get into the heavy details of this all we're pointing out is that God intentionally did these things. Exactly how it was done, when it was done, all this stuff. You know, we don't get into a big debates about it. But I will say this, when it comes to science, science is not exactly the most rock solid thing that we all think it is. Now there's provable science, that's very rock solid. You know, splitting an atom, pretty consistent science. You know, certain degrees of medicine, consistent. Gravity, very consistent. Uh, the laws of flight in in aircraft and rockets very consistent but a lot of these theories about the beginnings of mankind and how things got to where they are are just guesses they're guessing they can't test it they can't prove it it's their guess and I just got this cute little video I want to show you this is from Prager University a lot of time you'll see these videos on the on the internet here's a great little video clip I want you to see about you can see how science changes their perspective and changes what they learn when it comes to these theories, because they don't really know. Don't let science shake your faith, because science is something that isn't nearly as rock-solid as they think, or they uh, like to let people think that it is. Take a look at this video with me. In
2: 1966, Time magazine ran a cover story asking, is God dead? The cover reflected the fact that many people had accepted the cultural narrative that God is obsolete that, as science progresses, there's less need for a god to explain the universe. It turns out, though, that the rumors of God's death were premature. In fact, perhaps the best arguments for his existence come from, of all places, science itself. Here's the story. The same year Time featured its now-famous headline, the astronomer Carl Sagan announced that there were two necessary criteria for a planet to support life—the right kind of star, and a planet the right distance from that star. Given the roughly octillion planets in the universe, that's one followed by 24 zeros, there should have been about septillion planets, that's one followed by 21 zeros, capable of supporting life. With such spectacular odds, scientists were optimistic that the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, known by its initials SETI, an ambitious project launched in the 1960s, was sure to turn up something soon. With a vast radio-telescopic network, scientists listened for signals that resembled coded intelligence. But as the years passed, the silence from the universe was deafening. As of 2014, researchers have discovered precisely bubkis, not a zilch, which is to say zero, followed by an infinite number of zeros. What happened? As our knowledge of the universe increased, it became clear that there were, in fact, far more factors necessary for life, let alone intelligent life, than Sagan supposed. His two parameters grew to 10, then 20, and then 50, which meant that the number of potentially life-supporting planets decreased accordingly. The number dropped to a few thousand planets and kept on plummeting. Even SETI proponents acknowledged the problem. Peter Schenkel wrote in a 2006 piece for Skeptical Inquirer, a magazine that strongly affirms atheism, in light of new findings and insights, we should quietly admit that the early estimates may no longer be tenable. Today, there are more than 200 known parameters necessary for a planet to support life, every single one of which must be perfectly met or the whole thing falls apart. For example, Without a massive, gravity-rich planet like Jupiter nearby to draw away asteroids, Earth would be more like an interstellar dartboard than the verdant orb that it is. Simply put, the odds against life in the universe are astonishing. Yet, here we are, not only existing but talking about existing. What can account for it? Can every one of those many parameters have been perfectly met By accident? At what point is it fair to admit that it is science itself that suggests that we cannot be the result of random forces? Doesn't assuming that an intelligence created these perfect conditions in fact require far less faith than believing that a life-sustaining Earth just happened to beat the inconceivable odds? But wait, there's more. The fine-tuning necessary for life to exist on a planet is nothing compared with the fine-tuning required for the universe to exist at all. For example, astrophysicists now know that the values of the four fundamental forces gravity, the electromagnetic force, and the strong and weak nuclear forces were determined less than one millionth of a second after the Big Bang. Alter any one of these four values ever so slightly and the universe as we know it could not exist. For instance, if the ratio between the strong nuclear force and the electromagnetic force had been off by the tiniest fraction of the tiniest inconceivable fraction, then no stars could have formed at all. Multiply that single parameter by all the other necessary conditions and the odds against the universe existing are so heart-stoppingly astronomical that the notion that it all just happened defies common sense. It would be like tossing a coin and having it come up heads ten quintillion times in a row. I don't think so. Fred Hoyle, the astronomer who coined the term Big Bang, said that his atheism was greatly shaken by these developments. One of the world's most renowned theoretical physicists, Paul Davies, has said that the appearance of design is overwhelming. Even the late Christopher Hitchens, one of atheism's most aggressive proponents, conceded that, without question, the fine-tuning argument was the most powerful argument of the other side. Oxford University Professor of Mathematics Dr. John Lennox has said, the more we get to know about our universe, the more the hypothesis that there is a Creator gains in credibility as the best explanation of why we are here. The greatest miracle of all time is the universe. It is the miracle of all miracles, one that inescapably points to something or someone beyond itself. I'm Eric Metaxas for Prager University. Pretty
1: interesting stuff. Anyway, so now in Genesis, this is where we start uh, focusing, after we get past these four major events, uh, to the very next thing that we start seeing is where the nation of Israel comes from, and their very first patriarch. And it is found, we read about it now in the next chapter after, after the flood, or after the Tower of Babel, Genesis, the 12th chapter. And we start reading about Abraham. Now, initially, his name is Abram, but we'll discuss that. So let's take a look at it. Genesis, the 12th chapter, verse 1. And the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All right, so here we see God comes to this guy named Abram and makes this big promise and covenant with him. That uh, he wants him to follow him now and that uh, he's going to bless him and be on his side. Now, we don't know anything about Abram at this point. Uh, We know where he comes from and stuff. But I mean, who is he and why him? Why did God pick him? We don't know. It doesn't say. Is there something that God saw uh, special about Abram? Perhaps. Is it even feasible conceivable that God would have actually reached out to several people along this timeline trying to find someone that would truly obey him and believe in him and he didn't find it until Abram I don't know it doesn't say all we know is that all of a sudden God shows up to this guy named Abram and uh, tells him that he's going to bless him and instructs him about what he should do so anyway we we read in verse 4 so Abram went out as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Lot is uh, Abram's nephew. Okay? So you'll see in the previous chapter it talks about who Abraham's dad was and who his brothers were and who the sons were. So Lot, his brother's son, is with Abram, and they set out after God had spoken to Abram. Uh, And the Bible says that Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. Now, he's starting here he's 75 okay now these guys were living really long lives before the flood after the flood the ecosystem changed god told their diet that they needed to start eating meat now before that they were just vegetarians everything changes and the lifespans start to shorten dramatically abram's father lived just over 200 years uh and then now abram he lives about 175 years it's not short after that that it's it's basically that hundred year mark shy of it. Some guys would live older, you know, whatever, to what we have today. Uh, from then, the spans were much shorter. So even though he's 75, he's 75 in the context of 175 years. So he's an older guy, but uh, he's not like we would think of a 75-year-old now. So anyway, he starts out. And then we start reading about this, this new guy that God is making this conversation with. And in the beginning, uh, Abram is just doing and obeying God, doing what God told him to do. Now, we refer to Abram, Abraham as the father of faith. Uh, but at this point, there's really not a whole lot of faith. It's more obedience. And, and there is faith in obedience. I, I don't want to confuse you. But just obedience in and of itself isn't the kind of faith that God is looking for. Uh, Noah obeyed God. God told him to build the an ark and he just told him what to do. Do this, do that, bring this. And I mean, he gave him the, the specifics. You know, all but there's not tons of faith here. I mean, let, let's face it. If God woke you up every morning, told you exactly what to do, what to wear, where to go, how to get there, what to do when you got there and how to get back home, it'd be pretty easy, wouldn't it? And in fact, there's people who want that. They're, they're always waiting for God to speak to them and tell them. But that's not real faith. I mean, that's, that's easy. God, tell me to do this. God, tell me. so God comes and he tells Abram, this is what I want you to do. And he starts doing it. Now, he's not uh, uh, in a great place of faith at this point. He struggles a little bit as you read, you continue to read through Genesis. He has some struggles and trying to trust God in some situations. But anyway, uh, the first next major event that we want to talk about is uh, Abram, Uh, has to go and rescue his family and his property and stuff because somebody came and ripped him off and they get into this big battle and at the end of the day Abram succeeds and um, this is kind of like the celebration after the battle and we read about in Genesis the 14th chapter in verse 18 then Melchizedek the king of Salem brought out bread and wine and he was the priest of God most high and he blessed Abram saying blessed be abram by god most high creator of heaven and earth and praise be to god most high who delivered your enemies into your hand so he comes out and he blesses him and he you know after this battle and they're worshiping god thanking god and the very next phrase i want you to see at the end of this verse verse 20 it says then abram gave him a tenth of everything This is the very first time. Now, this is early on. This is way back. This is just right after the Tower of Babel. Okay, we got creation, the fall, the flood, the Tower of Babel, and boom, we've got Abram. And the first worship experience that he has uh, when when this priest comes out to him is that he now gives 10% of everything he has. This is where we get the idea of the tithe. Whenever you hear us say, we're going to take tithes and offerings. Tithe is an old English word for a tenth it was a tenth. This is where it started. It started with Abram. And from here on, now this becomes the gold standard of, you know, gee, how much of my income should I give to God? How how generous should I be? The standard is this 10%. Now, when Moses comes with the Ten Commandments and all the rules and regulations, this becomes codified into law. They had to give 10%. They had to do everything. Everything was driven by the law and stuff like that. Well, then Jesus comes and now we live by grace. And Christians often ask, well, gee, do we still have to give 10%? Well, we go back to Abram. Abram didn't have to do it. Uh, It wasn't until Moses came, but he made everybody have to do everything. Now we're back in grace. And it's not a matter of having to do, it's a matter of willing to do. The truth is in Christianity, you don't have to do a great many things. You don't have to pray. You should pray, yes. Uh, You don't have to go to church. Should you go to church? Yes. You don't have to be nice to people. Should you be nice to people? Yes. You don't have to give 10%. Should you give 10%? Yes. Now, you say, well, gee, I, I, that'd be really impossible for me at this point. Well, let's start wherever you're at. You know, give 2%, give 4%, give 7%. Grow in your faith. As you give, Jesus says, if you give, God will give back to you. As you continue to prosper and succeed, you want to shoot for that goal, that 10 I mean, just don't go to church and throw in 10 bucks and think, oh, That's a wrap, you know. (laughs) You know, like you're going to a restaurant or something like that. You know, we're supposed to be dedicated followers of Christ. But it's not from the have to. It's the should to because that's where real love comes in. Here's an example. Let's say it was a law. It was a law in America that on Valentine's Day you had to give your wife flowers. And if you didn't give your wife flowers, you would be fined. Arrested, fine, whatever. Well, okay, so now you give your wife flowers on Valentine's Day. Well, okay, but not a big win there. You have to do it. and if you, That's what the Old Testament, that's what, that was the law of Moses. I shouldn't say the whole Old Testament because it wasn't here. When Moses comes and gives us the Ten Commandments of the Law, everything became you have to do this. Well, now in Christ, the have to part of it is lifted from us. But now we should. Should you give your wife flowers on Valentine's Day? I would suggest it highly. All right? But now you're doing it because you want to, not because you have to. So the next major event in the Old Testament, a significant thing that we get our standard for financial generosity today, comes from Abram early in the book of Genesis, where he sets the standard and he gives 10%. All right, now, the next major event... We're going to go to j- chapter 15. It says, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision and said, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? Now, we, had, we skipped over it, but in... Right at the end of chapter 11 before it introduces Abram It mentions Abram for a second and it mentions that his wife Sarah is barren So he has no children. So we start out when he's 75 years old. He has no children Uh, He's getting older and older even though they lived long lives They still at some point you stop (laughs) being fertile And uh, they're getting up there in age to the point where You know, it's getting harder and harder uh, to conceive, They haven't been able to conceive yet. They're getting older. They're getting to the, virtually, to the point where it's going to be virtually impossible uh, for her to conceive. And he feels really bad about it. He has no one to leave his legacy to. And uh, the only one that's going to be able to uh, get it is some servant named Eleazar. Well, then uh, in, sh- in verse 4 it says, Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man, Eleazar, will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And he took Abram outside and said, I want you to look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Uh, Which (laughs) you really can't because there's so many of them up there. But he says, uh, uh, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. So here he is, God gives him this promise now. Now remember, big distinction, up until this point, All we've seen are people who are either obedient or disobedient to God when God shows up and talks to them. But we haven't really seen faith, just pure faith. And again, I know there's so many people who just want God to tell them everything. You have to understand that's not really pure faith. When you step out and you're not quite sure, that's faith. Don't sit around and do nothing, thinking you're going to be Noah or something or Abraham. Get to a place of faith because that's what God loves. So anyway, God tells Abram, that despite his old age, despite the fact that he still hasn't had children, that you are going to have children and your children's children are going to be more than the stars of the heavens. I want you to look up and just look up at night and look up there. And, uh, and this starts having a dramatic, now we got a, a promise here. It's not just a command, do this, build an ark, come here, follow me, leave that town, move it. It's not that now. Now we got a straight up promise where he says to them, I'm going to give you a son in a situation where it seemed that it was impossible. So he tells him to go out and he looks at the stars. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you've been able to look up uh, at the stars uh, where there is no other light around. Uh, We all live in cities or not far from towns and stuff where there's a fair amount of what they call light pollution. You can't really see. You can look up and you kind of see a couple of stars here and there. The reason you don't see more is because there's so much light everywhere and it affects it if you get out in the middle of nowhere miles and miles and miles away where it's pure black and now you look up at the stars it is a stunning sight to behold i remember i was in uh, south america once up in the andes mountains i mean we're a million miles from everywhere and we're up in these mountains they had to fly in by helicopter to get there and uh, we camped out up in the mountains this night and i mean there's no street lamps, man. There is nothing for my, I mean, it's black, black,
2: black, black, black.
1: As the sun sets and all this darkness kicks in and then suddenly, man, I remember looking up and it was, I saw a canopy of stars like I had never seen in my life. It was stunning to behold. I mean, just the experience. You can't really describe it until you, until you see it. Uh, I've been in other places of the world where it's very dark and it, it looks kind of cool, but nothing like this. This was stunning. This is what everybody used to see. All of mankind in the beginning until we've got all these lights and and, and cities and stuff like that. When they would look every night, there was this incredible canopy. And Abram, eventually becomes Abraham, but Abram looks up at the stars. And God told him, when you look up at the stars, I want you to count them because that's how many descendants you're going to have. You're going to be a father of an incredible nation. And we read the next verse which is the uh, next major event in the Old Testament, uh, where he says in verse 6, Abram believed God and he credited it to him as righteousness. Now, if you are going to listen to most people talk about major events of the, of the Old Testament, this probably wouldn't show up on a lot of people's radar, but this is huge. This is massive because this is the first time we see faith, pure, unadulterated faith. And when Abraham believed God, it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, why is this significant? Because this is how we still come to God to this very day. Uh, By faith. It is by faith. It is this incredible trusting God no matter what that changes everything. Paul writes about this in Galatians because the early Christians were confused. The early Christians were all Jewish, right? And they all had the law of Moses by then, all they have to do this, <clears throat> rules and regulations for everything. They had to do everything just right. And now they come to faith and they're saying, well, do we still have to obey all these rules and regulations? And, and Paul was saying, look, it's not about rules and regulations anymore. It's about faith. So he writes in Galatians, the third chapter. So as uh, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So he's quoting from Genesis, Paul here. Understand then, he says, that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw, foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham when he said, all the nations will be blessed through you. Remember he said that to Abraham, all the nations of the world? Well, by the time Moses comes, there's only one nation that they're concerned about. It's the Jewish nation. But he's trying to remind them, remember, God told Abraham, all the nations of the world would be blessed. And this comes in the gospel. When we're able to believe in Jesus, no matter what your background, no matter what your color, no matter what your creed, no matter what your failures, you can now experience God by faith. So he says in uh, verse 9, so those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. It was Abraham that set up this incredible experience in the first place. And he points out to the Jewish believers, look, because the Jews knew that they're patriarch of of everything starts with Abraham and he points out uh, Paul points out to them when he writes them he says look Abraham was there hundreds of years before there were the Ten Commandments it's not the commandments that justify you it's not following the rules that make you right before God. It's not about following rituals and stuff, and there's a lot of Christians who fall into this. They think, "Gee, if I go to church and I do this and I pray this prayer and I do da, 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 a bunch of robotons," and they think if they just follow all the robot stuff, that's what's going to make things right with it, between them and God, and they're missing the point. Even Christians who get into this insanity of trying to make rules and regulations, it's not about that. What he's saying, he says the reason for the rules and regulations was to help keep the culture together until the Messiah came. But he said, now our freedom is found in Christ. We come to God by faith. We're justified by faith, just like Abraham was when he believed what God told him was going to happen. And boom, righteousness comes by faith. And it has ever since. And now through, Jesus, through faith in Jesus Christ, you can experience the forgiveness of your sins. That's why we encourage you to trust, put your hope and trust in Jesus. When you come to Jesus and you put your faith in him and you trust in him, you are now justified by faith and your sins are removed, not because of some ritual or some automaton thing that you did, but through faith. Anyway, when we come back, we're going to be talking about uh, more from Abram because there's, there's a few more significant events that happen here. But eventually what happens, obviously, is Abram becomes Abraham and he does eventually becomes the father of this great nation, this nation of Israel, which we're going to talk more about and see some of the struggles that he had. But the key thing I want you to realize here is that it was all done through faith. And you know how he got to a place of faith? By looking at the stars. You see, every time at night he would go up and he would look and he would count. And he would see this incredible canopy, the kind of canopy you and I can't see in, in where, where we live. But you got in the middle of nowhere, you can see it and it's amazing. And it becomes so real and he's counting and counting. And the more he counted, the more the promise of God became more real to him than his experience. That's faith. And we're going to talk more about that kind of faith. Uh, Pick it up next week. See, that's when real faith starts happening. In the midst of your circumstances, even when it seems like nothing is going to work, like Abram. Abraham can't have a kid. Uh, his wife's getting older. She's getting the point she can't have any children anymore. Uh, in spite of all that, looking at their circumstances that said, failure, 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 the promise of God, they focused on that. And they focused on it to the point it became more real than their circumstances. And when God's promises become more real to you, then the circumstances that you're experiencing, that's when faith comes, that's when God shows up, and that's when he changes the circumstances in your life. All right, so we're going to pick up with that next Sunday when we continue on the study about the significant events of the Old Testament. But let me pray with you real quickly. If you've never truly surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, if you've maybe thought, well, I'm not such a bad guy, or I did this, or I didn't do that, if you think it's all about, you know, right and wrong, balancing itself out. You're missing the point. The point is faith. Have you truly trusted Christ in your life? If you haven't, I pray that this morning you'll do that. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your kindness and your mercies and your grace. Lord, it's through faith, not through our own efforts or our own works. Thank God, because we can't do it anyway. But it's through faith in you and through your son, Jesus Christ, that we can experience the grace of God of God, the blessings of God, the favor of God, and the forgiveness of God. Lord, we celebrate that today. I pray for those who are listening to me right now at our campuses in Appleton, Stevens Point, Green Bay, those who watch us on television or around the world on the internet. If they've never taken that step of faith, I pray they would take that step today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. See you next week.